Welcome back, listeners. To start off this Thanksgiving week, we have Lowell Crowley, cinematographer of The Humans. During this extremely fun chat, we discussed the setup behind Stephen Karam's Tony award-winning play turned screenplay. Class depictions portrayed on screen and television in the United States and the United Kingdom, and much more. Where did your interest in film and cinematography um, come into play in your life? Uh, well, I, gr I grew up in uh, Wales um, in the 70s, and I guess I was always, I guess it, in short, it was an evolution from art to photography and then photography to moving image. And then, uh, and then I went to university and I studied, I studied a, a course called media production, which was essentially like they had 16 mil filmmaking and they, you know, they could process 16 mil in house. And so we all ended up making graduation films on film. And, and I think I went into the course wanting to be a director because I didn't know I did, you know, I knew I knew directors made films, but I didn't really know about well, any of the other roles, you know. And then when I was there, I kind of um, I got I got interested in camera, but I guess I guess that's slightly untrue in, in the sense that it, it my my evolution involved photography, and I I remember before I went to university, I worked on I was like a a film. This film came to to my home village, you know? So it's in the middle of nowhere and it was this Hugh Grant movie called The Devil, uh, called the, the Englishman who, who went up a hill and came down a mountain. And I got it, I remember being very taken with these movie cameras, you know? And uh, I was definitely drawn to it. So I was definitely drawn to the camera side, but I was drawn to just the kind of, uh, the intrigue and the thrill of, the, of, of just movie making, you know, in general. I liked everything. I liked the aspects of it. That, the set design and just the idea of just creating these kind of worlds and this um, make-believe, I guess. Uh, yeah, um, but definitely, you know, I was interested in camera and then I guess at university when I started to actually be involved in shooting other, you know, fellow students' films, that just kind of grew and grew. And then I came, I came out uh, from university, I, gra I graduated, and I, I missed my graduation because I just went straight into a job as a as a as a camera PA or a trainee, as they would call it in the UK, and then worked my way up. So that was in '97, and then by two and then I was camera assisting and uh, shooting short films, and then by 2005 or six, I was lucky enough to shoot my first film, and then it all. You know, from that point on, well, for, for, it went to Sundance. It was a film called Ballast and it went to Sundance. And from that point on, I was a cinematographer. So it took me, you know, it took me probably about 10 or 11 years from graduating to, to, to you know, getting an agent and being a, a DP and, and mm -hmm. yeah. And I've been shooting, shooting ever since. Yeah. Um, so... Did you know about the humans before you were even attached to it? Uh, no, no, I didn't. I, I, I hadn't seen the play. Um, uh, Stephen, Stephen Kerem, who, um, who wrote the play and obviously directed the film, 
uh, he, I think he saw, yeah, he saw a film called 45 Years that I shot that Andrew Haig directed, British director Andrew Haig. Um, and he, uh, he, he really, he really responded to that. And I think uh, that was the, that was the reason that he approached me to, mm -hmm. to see if I'd want to shoot his film. Yeah, I, I love 45 Years and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I, yeah, I think I think they're in. I think there's, I think there's parallels for sure. I think certainly in the sort of economy of, uh, sort of economy of, of the way they're shot, you know, and letting things play out and not being afraid. You know, it's not they're not both films are they're not overcovered in terms of the number of shots for each scene, you know, and they're quite bold in letting you know letting. The performances just exist and letting the scenes unfold in single moments and single shots and mm -hmm. uh, i think they, i think they definitely both lean into that got it and so where did you where did you first meet steven how were you approached for the project um so i so you know like a lot of, i think you know it, it it came, it came through my agents. Um, I guess, you know, I'd been in, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a world in which, you know, we kind of all know each other through, uh, you know, degrees of separation as it were, you know? So I yeah. think he, he'd obviously knew my work, my agent, um, you know, got in touch with me to see if I'd be interested. And then we had, a, we had, you know, the, the, the usual conversations early on, um, before it was, you know, we sort of decided to work together. So, and, but, you know, um, I really wanted to do it. And then I met with him in New York and then we started to, we started to talk about it. He already had um, David Grobman on board uh, and Anne Roth on board as, as, as production designer and, and uh, costume designer, you know, like wonderful work, wonderful, um, you know, they're, just wonderful history in cinema uh, and everything they brought to it. So they, he had some very, you know, he'd done a lot of work with them uh, or preparation work for this film with them already, you know. Um, so I sort of came, when I came on board, it wasn't, I remember it wasn't uh, set in stone whether we were going to be shooting in a real location in Chinatown or we were going to build it, you know. So I came in early enough to get involved in that discussion as to whether we, it was going to be built um, as a set or whether we were going to shoot in a real location. And I think, I mean, ultimately we ended up building, building it, the whole thing as a set at Steiner Studios in New York. And we built it, it David designed it and built it across two, two stages. So you had one stage that was the downstairs um, and, and, uh, and the upstairs duplex that was on another stage with the, with the spiral staircase um, separating them. Um, which I think, you know, is definitely the right decision because it would have just been very difficult, I think, in a real, in a, in a real location. Although interestingly, I sort of, I, I've came from the world of like non-actors and real locations. So I'm all, always a little kind of reticent. I, I like the constraint of, of real locations and things, you know, and I, I like being slightly, I think I still lean into being forced into finding moments in a real space rather than 
enjoying having complete freedom. You know, it's interesting. Uh, um, people have different approaches to that, but in many ways, I, I quite enjoy the constraints. Um, but in this instance, I think it would have been very tricky to, uh, to have worked. Um, you know, there's some, just some points where you need to remove walls or get oh, yeah. certain shots, you know, so. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and then I, I remember um, there was also a discussion about, okay, do we, you know, the world, because, you know, the world that exists outside, it's one of those apartments in, in Chinatown or in many places in New York, you know, the, you know, Lower East Side or somewhere where, where you go into the apartment and then you look out and six foot away, there's a brick wall of the next building, you know, so, yeah. Uh, you know, so that was very important. And I know there was a conversation, I was involved in a conversation about whether that was going to be like blue screen at some point, you know, and and I'm very, very glad that it was a it was a, basically a, a set with a physical wall on the other side. So yeah. it was all, you know, other, you know, it was it was all there for the actors to actually respond to. I think because there are moments obviously where Richard Jenkins character goes to the window and looks out and interacts. I think that stuff would be difficult, not unachievable, would be difficult to then to just have them at the window staring out at a blue screen trying to imagine the other world out there. Yeah. Yeah, no, I that that's really interesting. And I, I, I didn't know that it was the the set was built like that. Um did you, let me ask you, did you did you know? I'm I'm intrigued. Did you know it was a set, or was it obvious it was a set, or did it? If it was, no, it, I it... thought it was a. I thought you were really shooting in New York or in a New York apartment because Great. oddly it felt claustrophobic, but open because the studio I live in right now is open but claustrophobic, and so I felt it felt very familiar, and so I was Great. like. I don't know. I, I I I didn't have any sort of thought that it was that it was. It built. didn't didn't it didn't feel fake. No, no, not not at all. Um, and I think I I I guess that's also. Um, I mean, kudos to the actors. I mean, obviously Richard Jenkins can do something like that, even if there wasn't a um, yeah a wall for him to sort of look out at. So, um, but yeah, no, I I I had no idea. I mean, the, De David's production design was so good. I mean, like all the details, all the kind of like the textures on the walls and all that stuff was, there was never any doubt that that, that, that you know, that, that would be believable. My concern was that the light, you know, because the thing is there's, with this film, there's nowhere to escape in terms of like, the lighting so say for example in a movie where you're like you know it's it all so this movie obviously takes place just over like several hours like you know let's say it's kind of and we we actually charted all of this so i had it written down but you know it takes place maybe a six to eight hour window you know mm -hmm. they turn up and then and but there's nowhere to go it's not like a movie where you're like okay it's the next day or you go into this room and then it's night you're basically always interrogating the windows. So whenever you come back, we had to incrementally change the light as mm -hmm. we went, you know, yeah. which is obviously one thing, if you were in a real location would be very difficult because, you know, you, as, the, as the sun starts to set, you, how do you shoot a scene again and again whilst maintaining the light? So that's yeah. one of the, the huge advantages 
to be on a set. But I remember we we had a, a great uh, board op, Ray Roy, who, who basically had to program all of these lights so that I could say to him, OK, 6.30 p.m. And, and he would press a button and and it, and and, he, and everything would shift to 6:30 p.m. You know, our mm. our our what we had established, and then I would say like 6:40, and it would incrementally change, and then mm. gradually it would go from day through to night, and it would have this sort of blue to purpley, and then the other, and then the other lights in the other apartments had to then come up. So you know, it's like you you were always looking at the windows, so you had to get that right. I mean, that was yeah. a kind of fascinating technical and art and sort of artistic challenge, a creative challenge. It's strange. I actually was looking at the, like the rooms themselves, because that's how I sort of, if I'm stuck in my apartment, if I was in my apartment all day, I'm not particularly looking at the windows. It's more of like the light within. And yeah. so that was more for me, but that's interesting. I. I, that that's extremely interesting. Um, well, no, I mean you 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 like what you just said completely encapsulates the very first conversation that I had with Stephen, which was like I went to his apartment um, in in New York, which isn't in Chinatown, but he had lived in Chinatown, so he knew what you know. That's why it was set there. And one of the things he was really fascinated with was the way that light, the daylight bounced off other buildings and then came in and created all these like specular kind of will o the wisp like uncanny little moments of light bouncing around. Um, yeah. Which we were, we were, you know, there's one point where Jane's character really kind of like interrogates that and really looks at it and she responds to it on the wall, you know. And I think, you know, in hindsight, I, I, I wish we'd kind of gone, I wish I'd, not that we've gone further with it. I wish I'd done a better, I was trying to kind of like recreate that, but it's, I realized it's an incredibly difficult thing to try to recreate, yeah. you know, because it's a very specific thing, taking daylight sunshine, hitting a wall, hitting a glass building, like maybe half, you know, a quarter of a mile or, or like two blocks away that then pierces through and bounces yeah. off this. And it's an incredibly delicate and nuanced thing. And trying to recreate it is, 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 was a challenge, you know, but that, but that was at, like, Stephen just gave me all of these, there were two things he gave me. One was all of these pictures that he'd taken of like how the light changed in his apartment. And the second thing was all of these like light wells. So he would go to, like the very first thing we did was we went to these light wells, these spaces between apartment buildings um, that were maybe like eight foot apart. And then, and, and then sort of, examine them and um, because that's what he wanted that's what he wanted the light how he wanted the light to behave within the apartment so got it and so in the opening shot are you and I mean I know you did different apartment complexes as the sort of opening shot was the intention that they are looking outward at the street or I mean I, I know they're looking at a courtyard at some point but are they yeah. looking at the outside of New York or at the inside of an apartment complex? The inside of an apartment complex. So, so it's like, um, the, uh, so the beginning of the film with the opening credits where you're sort of doing these spirals looking up and obviously it's a, it's a sort of amalgam or a, a you know, a sort of montage of all these different, you know, uh, light wells that are just quite pleasing in terms of 
geometric shapes and things. Yeah. But ult ultimately, by the end of the opening sequence or the opening credits, you're being sucked down into a specific window that you see Richard at. Um, and then for the rest of it, you're just, you know, because they make, they, they, I mean, the script is so wonderful, but they make these great references where Beanie Feldstein's character is like going, oh, well, you know, we'll take a walk in the courtyard. And it's just like nothing. It's like, you know, you know, it's kind of very sweet and heartbreaking in the same way that 45 years is like, it touches on such a heartbreaking, the most heartbreaking kind of like comments that humans make or investment in things that that then your family then sort of kind of cruelly un, cruelly you know um undermine or make fun of you know and it's so yeah you know but so she says um you know we'll take a walk in the courtyard of her but it's just like where they put the trash it's like there's nothing there it's just like a light well of like eight foot by 20 foot you know and they and they make fun of her for suggesting that you know so it's yeah that's basically what the space is outside the window is um and, then, and also it's this feeling that almost like a gustav dore etching that they're kind of existing in the bottom of this light so the light is trying to penetrate down but yeah they're all at the bottom of this kind of like they're trapped almost like these <laughs> you know like insects in a jar oh god and, and Richard is kind of like desperately trying to see, look up at certain points, and but he never gets to see the sky. All he sees is just the, you know, is just the the just the, the, the wall, the brick. Yeah. You know, he's closed in. You know, uh, so that that was that was the um, that was the aim, and that was what's so good about the film was that you could play into this stuff and lean into this stuff all the time. So it's like, they're, you know, they're not imprisoned, but they are, you know, they're imprisoned by themselves, by their own dynamic. They try to get some fresh air, but the, you know, yeah, six, yeah, six, six, eight foot away, there's a brick wall that just extends up as far as the eye can see. Yeah. Yeah, no, I thought the way that, and I don't mean this by any insult, but it was like, there were so many moments where I felt like truly uncomfortable. And, but then like, actually like very comfortable. Like when you were sitting at the table sort of with the family that felt very um, familiar and um, traditional. But then it's like when you're the June, like June Squibb's character having to go like in these very just tight, claustrophobic spots to go to the restroom or to go upstairs to see something or whatever it was it was just like yeah I had a lot of anxiety sort of during those yeah. moments um no I know and I think I think it's it, I think it's really interesting and, and this is like one of the things I was struck with early on was not just like just how well written it was like just <laughs> just superb in a way that I kind of and, and I may be completely wrong in saying this, and again, I don't want to be insulting, but it felt more like a European examination of family. Like in some ways, in some ways, I kind of think that there's a protection of like the idea of family or nuclear family in America that doesn't necessarily kind of like get really, like really like that. I don't know. It's like, um, I'm trying to think of something else that really just kind of like unpicks the kind of like 
the family dynamic but like yes they all love each other but at the same time there's this they can be really nasty you know there's some really barbed comments and things you know yeah. and it's kind of like I'm, I, I don't know I mean it's just something um I think it's a really really deft and and accomplished examination of the complexities of family you know that I haven't necessarily seen before you know yeah no I I that's that's a great point. And I mean, especially sort of in a holiday setting like that. Um, I mean, everything that you could want to go right during that entire situation goes completely wrong. So, but it's not, it's not like in a funny way where things go wrong. It's just where it just like, it's just a truly terrible experience at the end. Yeah, but, it, but it's like, but there are moments of absolute, you know, there are, there are so many funny moments as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just so, it's so well observed. And I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, it's like there are moments where you're just like uh, heartbroken by some of it, you know, and just the kind of clumsiness often of, of family behavior, you know what I mean? Like yeah. just, they're just like, you know, Jude's character at certain points is, is uh, so Jane's character at certain points is just sort of like, you know, like you really don't want Richard's character to say what he's about to say and he says it, you know, he just, he, you know what I mean? He's so- Yeah, it's like um, the Weight Watchers thing and- Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's just like, oh, give her the eye the cake with the icing whatever that's what she wants for her. you know it's just like really you know yeah really you wouldn't say it but you do you know. yeah um i guess i feel like i've gone completely on a different tangent um no i think no but this is good because i i mean maybe that's my fault but i actually think that like the thing is about you talk about as working as a cinematographer so much of it ends up being technical or whatever which i know people want to know but at the same time there's so much of it is about um responding to the characters and what the film is and how you approach it that way you know and that's for me that's what i'm so much more fascinated in than the nuts and bolts of of the of the technical processes of filmmaking mm -hmm. how i mean Obviously, collaboration seemed to be, I mean, it, it had, I, I feel since it was a play first, I mean, I think collaboration sort of becomes key when transferring that over to film. I mean, how important was the collaboration within that? I mean, you spoke early on how important that was, but when it came to actually on, on set doing the shoot, how important was that collaboration? Well, um... I'm going to, I'll answer it this way and you tell me if I'm deviating it. So, so um, the thing about this film that was different to others, and I guess, well, I guess this applies to any film where you're working on a set, you don't have the set to respond to. So until the set is built, and in this case, you know, the set gets built right up until the point where you start filming, you know, it's a very close, it's very, it's very hard to then spend time on the set with the actors or, I mean, Stephen had rehearsed, like they marked out the, like a game of Cluedo, they marked out on a, on a large a large rehearsal space, um, one for one, the kind of footprint of the set. So Stephen really wanted to rehearse and he had time rehearsing with the actors, like two weeks, I think. 
Um, and they could see almost like, you know, you remember the Lars von Trier movie, um, uh, Dogville? Yeah, know? yeah. So it was basically like that. So there's the staircase, you go down. So he would, you know, but for me, I didn't have a physical space to be able to say, okay, well, this shot and this shot and this shot, you know, mm -hmm. because the set's still being built. So what we did was we ended up using like, a, and this is where the technical stuff I'm kind of intrigued by and, and happy to talk about, but I'm happy to talk about all of it, but the, um, there's a, like a, they have these um, software now called like Rhino and SketchUp and things where basically you can like, you can, we can sit at a, a computer together and, see the entire space and put characters in so we could actually kind of float around the space on on like an 18 mil or 24 mil and that's how we shot list and how we managed to construct it because the space just wasn't there so that was how we managed to prep it you know like on the one hand we would just talk about you know uh references and how we wanted to feel and the mood and the lighting and how we would shoot a scene but then in order to actually apply it and oh, well, can we get this shot or can we do that? You know, that's, we had to kind of lean into these modern techniques to, to achieve that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I suppose in a roundabout way, in terms of like collaborating and how we all had to work together to be like, or well, how do we formulate these ideas, you know, Anne's ideas and, and of, of, you know, and, and, and David's ideas and where Stephen how Stephen went to cover a scene and how I needed to light a scene, all that stuff in this instance had to be done very kind of virtual, you know, because we just yeah. didn't have the set, which is interesting because it's a very personal movie. It's a movie that doesn't feel like it leans into the, the technical as much as that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Like we just didn't have the space to exist in. So it's, it's like, you know, and then, then we would have been pushed into a situation of being like, okay, we've got a shoe. Uh, all right, how do we do it? You know, so, and, 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 and I should preface that by saying that we, this is a rare instance where the entire movie was shot listed. Like we, what we did was we shot listed everything weeks before, and then we applied that shot list to this tech to to these computer programs to work out how we would do it you know um and then what actually ended up happening when we shot the movie was that Stephen ended up deviating like go you know he deviated away from coverage so the more we shot and if this was his first film so we i guess in a sense we sort of played it safe and had more shots to cover a scene but the more that we as we progressed through the film, he realized he didn't, he wanted to be bolder and bolder in the coverage and have less, less, less and less coverage. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So it's like, yeah. he would just like, there, in this one, it was a rare instance and I should bring Nick into this as well. Nick Hoy, the editor. This film was in terms of collaboration. This was a rare instance where I was actually, me and Stephen would go to the edit together and watch what we'd done and watch it with Nick and then use that to learn how we knew, shoot the next scene. That doesn't often happen. Like I'm either kept out of the edit for good reason, because it's just like too many voices, <laughs> or, or the edit will happen afterwards, or the edit is a very, you know, it's a very close collaboration between the director and the editor. It's unusual for a director and a DP and an editor to go in on a nightly basis and go, okay, how are we doing? 
are we doing this right? Is this coming across? What can we learn? How do we then go the next day and do it? And, and that was unusual for me and, and I really appreciated it. It was, it was a really interesting and, and informative exercise to make sure we, were, we remained on the right track. And it helped you? Yeah, it did, 100%. Yeah, yeah, it really did. Because it's like, you know, like Stephen, okay, so imagine that like Stephen went to the edit one night and then comes in and goes, oh, I really want to shoot less coverage. I think we're over covering a scene. We should just be doing it in, in one, one or two shots. I wouldn't know how it arrived at that. And I might be a little bit like, okay, like seems, I guess my nervousness about that would be, is this starting to feel too much like a play? And are we losing what cinema, you know, can bring to it? You know, yeah. are, we, are we losing, you know, if you just, if something's just played out in one shot, are we, is it starting to just feel like we're documenting or, or you know, are we, are we starting to then push the audience into, uh, you know, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, are we, the, the whole, the whole, advantage as it were of cinema or not advantage but what cinema can do is obviously direct the gaze in the way that a play can't right yeah. so you know you're able to take take you're able to direct the the audience's gaze around to various points and show them things you want them to see obviously within a within a play it's up to them everything's presented and they they examine what they want to examine so so that was kind of an interesting crucial difference um between the play and the and the and the film adaptation so if what so if we were to just the less that we shot coverage or the less that we we directed that gaze there is a danger i guess that it ends up then just becoming like a filmed version of the play is what I'm yeah. trying trying to say. <laughs> and I think that's been one of the challenges over the years as more um, adaptations are coming out of plays, because I know I've seen some of these films that have been adapted from plays recently that aren't exactly, I mean, it, it very much feels like you're watching a play and not a film. This felt like- it yeah. was a film um yeah so did you um did you enjoy the do you see the father i did see the father that was what it what a trip i mean it was great God. right i mean i mean i think i i mean i didn't see the the play but i i just thought it was uh i didn't you know there was the one film where i was like wow that's what it's got to be like you know where you really understand, you feel you really understand that just the the complete confusion of Anthony Hopkins' character, where you're just like, you know, I thought it it was it did that so well, where you really understood what this, you feel like, you know, you just feel like you're going completely mad, you know. Oh yeah, no, and and then I mean, sort of in the the final part of it, you're just, I I don't know, that just that took so much out of me. I mean, I have family that have um that have dementia so it was even more personal but it was just yeah yeah holy smokes and i mean but yeah I know. it's that i and I, I mean at his age and just to do something of that caliber and i mean everyone in that i mean olivia coleman was fantastic and well she's always like i mean i i was lucky enough to work with her on 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 a film a few years ago a roger michelle movie and she 
she, I don't remember seeing her in um, Tyrannosaur, I think it, I want to call it, the, 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 it's a British movie with Paddy Considine, I think, and um, Olivia Coleman. And she, I saw that at Sundance, and she just has this way of like, uh, wow, she's just went, as soon as she starts to get upset, it just breaks you, you know? She's just oh. such a like, you know. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that the new movie that she's coming out with um from Maggie Gyllenhaal um, yeah I I don't know what to expect there but I'm I'm I mean she's just been one of my favorite actresses to watch over the past it's incredible um, incredible I mean yeah. I just remember seeing her on I mean this is I'm obviously very late to the game with her but seeing her on Broadchurch I was just like I I haven't seen anyone do something like that and quite yeah. Um, yeah 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 once again, I'm derailing. What genre would you classify the humans as? Um, well, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's the, so the, There's, there's definitely a kind of like, well, one of the influences early on was, uh, one of the things that Stephen brought was the Polanski trilogy, the, 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 the apartment trilogy. Uh, the uh, was it The Tenant, Rosemary's Baby, and I'm trying to think of the third one. There were three that were just all about set in, set in these apartments, you know? Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and what Stephen was really interested in one, was and what we're both very interested in was this idea of like it's not supernatural right it's not supernatural uh, but uh, but there's a kind of there's an anxiety and a paranoia and an anxiety and a, and a kind of uncanniness and a things that go bump in the night quality yeah. about about it that are purely like there's there's no haunting there's no supernatural element but all of these things are that are, that can be explained are interpreted through the prism of of, of familiar of familial anxiety that that all these characters are experiencing you know mm -hmm. and i think that's like really interesting and i i'm kind of deeply fascinated by that idea of, in cinema or that if you know whatever you call that genre or whatever that is like you know, yes, it's part social realism. Yes, it's part, you know, um, uh, but it's also leaning into this idea of kind of like the self-induced supernatural or, you know, and you get it in like Nick Rogue movies as well, like Don't Look Now, right? So Don't mm -hmm. Look Now is not a ghost story or a supernatural story, although it has death in it, the death of the girl and of the daughter and stuff. But it's it's about the the whole movie is is about grief you know the don't look now is about grief and how every event then becomes focused through this prism of of grief and and then it, it, then things get interpreted in the incorrect way you know mm -hmm. so um i'm not really answering a question about how i would put it in, into a genre but i think what's interesting is that it kind of it it borrows from different genres is what i'm trying to say you know you have the the, the social realist elements and you have the kind of elements of paranoia and and supernatural and i think it's a kind of really uh interesting and unusual melding and borrowing from those different genres 
in order to create that you know mm-hmm. yeah what, um, how would you, how would you define it i honestly don't know that question just sort of popped up in my head as we were talking about the last yeah. question i just wanted to yeah. get your thought i i don't know what i would classify it as um And maybe that's a good, I mean, maybe that's a good thing. I feel like there are just so many things that are um, bending sort of the, what, what the typical genre is. So, um, yeah. and I, I think I appreciate that. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I suppose when I, when I said earlier, which I didn't articulate terribly well, but um, like there is a tradition in, you know, cause I grew up in the UK and work, have worked predominantly so far in the UK, like, there is a tradition of like 45 years, you know, there's a tradition of social realism, right? That came from like the kitchen sink dramas of the sixties through to like modern filmmakers like Andrea Arnold and, you know, that are, that are, that are quite sort of, um, that are quite, that are an examination of class a lot of the time, you know, 45 years is an interesting one because 45 years for me is an examination of a kind of middle class um, and a you know and a wealthy comfortable middle class, which in some ways in the UK, in UK cinema we we don't examine like we we examine like the working classes you know and we like with Andrea Arnold's movies or you know yet somehow like in France and other European countries they they're unapologetic about examining the middle classes, you know, whereas in the UK or in British cinema, often they get lampooned, you know, so mm-hmm. if they get, so, so if it's like a Mike Lee film or, you know, like the Ken Loach will be a celebration of the working classes or an examination of the working classes, you know. Um, so I think what's interesting about, what I think is interesting about the humans is I don't see that many kind of like examinations of class in, in, in a like it's it, it's an interesting examination of a of a of a family of a certain class if that if that and I think I don't often see that in American cinema I don't know or the idea of sort of blue collar um being examined in that way and probably I don't know if that makes sense but no, I that, think that was I, my next question sort of like what if if the UK isn't doing that is the US doing that um in turn, are, are you seeing that in American cinema more? And I would, and I think you're saying you don't see that. And I would I, probably agree with you there. I think traditionally you never saw, you didn't, I think maybe increasingly over the last sort of 10, 15 years, maybe 20 years, like in American cinema, you're seeing more within the independent so that sort of examination of, of class becomes, has become more uh, obvious, I suppose, in, in, in its examination. But I think there's, you know, it's interesting because in the, in the, in the UK, we're very conscious of class, whereas mm-hmm. that, that doesn't necessarily it translate or exist in the same way in America per se, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, but you know it's interesting because I was thinking about this a, a, a little while ago. You take a movie like Trains, Planes, and Automobiles, right? Where you just go, okay, well that's just a, a John Candy, Steve Martin movie. It's actually a really interesting examination of class. Like he just doesn't want to share the taxi with the with the shower curtain salesman. You know, like there there is 
they have these whole like one they exist in completely different spheres class you know different classes but they're pushed together you know so that so there are films that have exist it existed in the 80s and 90s but they just don't seem as obvious to me as an examination of class does that make sense yeah no and now i <laughs> Now I'm about to go on a spiral in terms of all, all the films. I've, I mean, I saw the new James Bond last night, and now I just want to go through that and just think about all the different elements of class there. Right, um, right. Because I mean, I mean, they, there obviously they, were. I mean, it's it's not upfront about it, but it, it, it is there. Um, well, it's, no, it is. And it's also like I went to see it the other week, and I was really irritated by um, being, being British and living in the U.S., like you know, points where like they pull open um, with um, Q. Q is David Wishaw, uh, Ben Wishaw. Ben Wishaw, yeah, yeah. And then he like opens a he opens a um, a drawer, and there's like a teapot and tea. Th like oh, because we have to have the tea. And I was like, oh my god, it's like everybody thinks we're either like that or like Wallace and Gromit. Like this kind of like I was so annoyed at the kind of like you know, like it's so stupid. Well, yeah, well, you're, like, the, yeah, you're you're falling into sort of the the British trope or the British yeah of, it's like um, so I was so in like it's like oh my god really like that's how we we're still thinking you know, like oh we have one tea drawer dedicated to tea because that's how the world sees us or you know I yeah. don't know it's just like you know it's like so silly and uh you know but, but I mean you kind of have that same thing with Americans if you were to look at America from sort of the I don't know the 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 British eye set because when I I actually studied abroad in the UK for six months um during college and I mean that I mean my perception of it blew sort of completely out of the window and everything that was preconceived yeah. just like was gone within hours of landing um sure. but no I mean I I, I would be curious yeah. and maybe and this is a completely different conversation but I mean just like what the thought of Americans would be like from the from the UK sort of mindset, um, but well, I think I think it's just like an incredibly it's like all these things. It's an incredibly reductive stereotype version of it, you know. Yeah, like, it would just be you know like in the same way you'd think that you get off a plane in England, everyone's waving flags and wants to meet the Queen, or you know having a cup of tea or whatever. You know, it's like it's you know it's like far more nuanced than that you know so it's um yeah so i don't know it's just um yeah it's just it's kind of just really it was it's it's in it's interesting to like because i don't i don't you know coming back to the humans the 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 family isn't dysfunctional like they're a very loving family in the same way that the simpsons are like an incredibly loving family but they're dysfunctional like it's interesting like it's a you know um they function but there's there's so much complexity and cruelty and thoughtlessness i suppose a lot of the time it's thoughtlessness isn't it it's kind of <laughs> like you know you'd you'd imagine that the people that you're closest to you would respect the most but in some ways you say the things you would never dream of saying to anybody else to your family which <laughs> is kind of an interesting an interesting uh an interesting feature of how families behave you know where you're like yeah. oh my god like why, <laughs> why on earth would you say that yeah. i wonder if that 
I don't, do, I wonder if he purpose, like, is he purposely doing that just to make it, I, I mean, Steven, did he purposely want to sort of agitate um, the family members with the writing that way? I think, I mean, I, it would be a question for, 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 for Stephen, but I think, um, you know, he comes from, if he doesn't come, from, I mean, the family can come from Scranton. I think he may come from Scranton. He certainly comes from Pennsylvania. So a lot of that stuff is very personal thing, mm -hmm. I think, to him. He's drawing on, you know, which I think is why it is so successful as a piece of writing and direction, because he knows it. Like, he just knows it inside out, you know? Um, uh, but at the same time, I think it's, I think if you, if you didn't know it, you wouldn't, the love wouldn't exist in it, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, you, you would miss it. It would become this caustic, it would become, it would become almost like a Mike Lee version of it, you know, where it would become this kind of like satire. And it's not a satire. It's like so deftly written that it's it's you you know it's like it's written with love, yeah. You know? um, in a way that Mike Lee stuff isn't necessarily written with love and affection. It's written with how do I lampoon, you know, or like um, a Joanna Hogg movie. How do I lampoon this class? You know, mm -hmm. it's you know, you know what I mean. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. No, I mean it's like I now I'm like going back to the Amy Schumer character and how they use her sort of as this like what is she she is ibs and yeah yes just like there are just like odd moments that of course it's you're laughing at it but at the same time it's like oh my god she has ibs and it's just like and, yeah and it's real like it's real and it's funny at times but well, then also just like oh dear god like i feel so like i feel horrible for you right now i know and i you know i think i think if you know that world and you uh, you see both sides of it. I think it allows you a generosity. And I think that the, the word generosity is very important because I think generosity is, is what stops it becoming cynical or satirical in that way. You know, I think you have a, you know, I think you, you're generous to those characters and you're, you know, you forgive them and, and you write that dialogue accordingly. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah. it's like you write the kind words and you write the cool words because you recognize that we're all capable of both, you know? Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think you have to really understand that world to, to write it as, as well as Stephen did, you know? Um, like there were moments when, uh, you know, like the, the, when Amy, Amy's character comes in, she's had a call with her ex and she comes back to find her father, Richard's character, you know, in the hallway, you know, and she's like, um, he tries to console her with these words, you know, and she just says, stop, just stop, you know? And then she goes, well, don't actually stop, you know? And then, you know, yeah. so it's, this, it's just great, this idea of kind of pushing away and pulling all the time that we do with our families, you know, where you need, we, we you know, I go, leave me alone, I need you, leave me alone, I need you, you know? And I think mm -hmm. that's, that's incredibly well examined, you know? Mm -hmm. Did you see yourself in any of the characters? Oh God, yeah, all of them in some degree or another. I mean, don't we all? I mean, mm -hmm. it's yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. It's just it's um, 
yeah, it's all of you know, it's all of us to, to one degree or another. You know, like even the yeah, of course, like uh, growing up in Wales, wanting to move away to a city, wanting to you know not do better than your parents, but do better than your parents. Like you know, like you know, it's like it's not you want to be like oh i don't want to be i'm going to shake the shake this old town off my feet you know and then off i go mm. you know which is kind of like they don't, they don't they don't want to live in scranton you know and then having this conversation with the parents about um you know the parents like scranton's not too bad and they're like she's gone to new york but it's like new york is like you know the reality of new york is that there's a brick wall eight foot outside of her window you know but i'm still in new york yeah. And I yeah, so I think we've all experienced that to a certain extent where we're like, I'm I'm gonna I'm getting out of here. I'm gonna do something amazing. And then it's like the amazing doesn't seem that amazing to the parents are like, why are you spending thousands a month on this apartment? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um what was your biggest takeaway from the film? Um my biggest takeaway uh that's an interesting question i mean i could um i suppose like um think i suppose it's often the case that you think you think that some things will work and they don't and then you think some things definitely won't work and they do, you know? And I know that sounds a kind of vague way of, of, of answering that, but I suppose it's like always being, always being surprised, like being nervous that, oh, we haven't shot enough coverage and maybe, maybe it's gonna feel less cinematic because of that and then being surprised. So I think, I think the biggest takeaway is just always trying to be like, always 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 remembering that you 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 don't know everything you know you you there's always a combination of these things and co combination of collaboration of what you think something is and always you know there'll always be a there'll always be some kind of surprise that some things fall into place in a way that you that you didn't imagine they would if that makes sense you know it's like I think if you ever get to a point where you start a film and you think, I know exactly what this is and the outcome is going to be exactly what I imagined in the first place, it's probably when you should stop doing it or something, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's like, so I suppose the biggest takeaway is just learning, you know, it's just learning, learning that when you thought you were right, you weren't necessarily right, you know, and, um, and I, and I think that's important. I think it's important not to, I think if you get to a point where you just enter something, enter into a collaboration feeling that your, your belief is the belief and the right way to go, um, which I think plenty of people do, it, it concerns me a little bit. I think, I think one should just remain open to so many different possibilities. And, and, and I suppose the danger of that openness is that something can feel vague and unfocused but i think there's a i think there's a sweet there's a happy there's a sweet spot to be attained where you where you're open to different ideas but you still have a vision of what you feel 
the your your uh creative involvement should be if that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah no it does um and i guess is that sort of the same takeaway that you want audiences to leave the film um with um yeah i suppose i suppose in a, in a sense it is yeah um i mean i think it would be not it would I, it would be nice if people felt reassured in a way, you know, that they saw the movie and they felt like, oh my God, it's not just me. You know, I think, I yeah. think that's what, you know, I think that's good. You know, I think that's important that, that you know, that, that films in some way can often reach out and, and reassure people that no matter how dysfunctional and crazy you feel your family is, um, you know, does it, you know, across class, you know, doesn't matter how much money, you know, whether it's a family in Beverly Hills having their Thanksgiving or, you know, uh, or, or, or the Blakes, like, you know, we're all just humans trying to figure it out, you know, and failing and succeeding in equal measure, you know, and that's, that's, that's just the human, that's just humans, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jackson Vickery. Graphics were done by Dylan Michael. And the opening and closing theme were done by Sterling Gavinsky.